church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I'm delighted to have you listening to this podcast today. I've got some things on my mind today. You know, just a few days ago, I overheard a friend telling someone that he couldn't understand how someone could be a Christian and a Democrat. And I thought about that, and my first reaction was, I know some Democrats who I consider to be Christians. And and then I began to reflect on the things that are going on in our country. You know, in Washington, there is a congressional committee that's holding hearings on the uh, January 6th incident at the Capitol. Now, in my opinion, these hearings are a political circus that have not yielded any findings about the cause of this riot or what might have prevented the riot. But my concern is about something else that was taking place at that incident in Washington and has taken place at a number of of other venues around the country. You know, among, among the uh, Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the uh, White Supremists, the uh, QAnon theorists, and staunch Republicans, on January 6th, there was Christian nationalists who honestly believed that they were somehow serving Jesus by participating in violent acts at the Capitol. One pastor on the steps shouted, We're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory. We serve a resurrected Jesus. Does anybody think America is worth fighting for? Does anybody think the Second Amendment is worth fighting for? Let the District of Communists know you're here. Come on, patriots. And they stormed in to the Capitol. Some of those who were storming the Capitol were carrying Christian flags and Bibles and flags emblazoned with phrases like Christians for Trump. I want to read you Romans 13 in the contemporary language from the Message Bible. Be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen, and you'll get on just fine. The government is working to your advantage, but if you're breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order, and he uses them to do it. That's why you must live responsibly, not just to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live.
Now that's the scripture. Do you think Jesus would have been on the front steps of the Capitol egging the crowd on? In 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, also contemporary language from the Message Bible, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how. For everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can quietly be about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. Now, if Jesus had been at the Capitol on January 6th, he and his followers would have been engaged in prayer, not storming into the congressional chambers. Now, does this mean that we should support tyrants and corrupt leaders? Are Christians to never engage in civil disobedience? Well, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Now, for listeners who do not know this Old Testament story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are figures in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, three Hebrew men who were thrown into a fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when they refused to bow down to the king's image. But the three were preserved, saved from harm, and the king sees four men in the flames, the fourth like the Son of God. There's a time for Christians to stand firm for their faith, even if it costs them their lives. You know, and we have the New Testament story in Acts 5, uh, 29. Following Jesus' crucifixion, his disciples were put in jail. Mysteriously, they were released by the Holy Spirit and immediately began preaching the gospel in the courtyard. They were confronted by the Jewish leaders who ordered them to stop, cease, and desist. And this is when Peter shouted, We must obey God rather than human beings. Yes, there's a time for civil disobedience. When Christians are being asked to compromise their faith, that's the time. Now, you may say that you have a right to declare yourself a Christian and participate in political demonstrations. All Americans have the privilege of being politically outspoken. However, taking a political position and trying to convince others that your position is supported by Christianity may crush your Christian witness, especially those new to the faith. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and 24, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek their own good, but the good of the other person. So who are these people that are being called Christian nationalists? According to Dr. David Scott, a Methodist historical researcher, Christian nationalism identifies the nation with God's will and action in the world and conflates national and Christian identity and identifies service to the nation with service of God. In an article from the Christian Chronicle, Christian nationalism is described as the intertwining of the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of men. America is often described by using language reserved 
for the kingdom of God. When patriotism and righteousness are married, the line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world becomes blurred. It perverts the gospel of falsely giving to a nation, in other words, America, a messianic identity. America begins to be seen as the primary mechanism for saving human history. Christian nationalism has been around a long time. Thomas Jefferson called the United States the world's best hope. Abraham Lincoln said that the unity of the U.S. and its form of government is the last best hope of Earth. And then we have Woodrow Wilson saying that he believed he would live to see the day in which America would reach all its hopes and would at last uh, that the world would know America as the savior of the world. Donald Trump said we must always keep faith in America's destiny, that one nation under God must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all nations of the world. These are all classic examples of the messianic pretense which undergirds Christian nationalism. The true kingdom of God is not associated with any nation or political party. Both political parties fall short of the true kingdom of God in many ways. Even though in today's culture, a large percentage of Americans see the Republican Party as the Christian Party. When one sees their political party as God's party, it creates a sort of a, a false justification for demonization of opposing views within the political process. Spiritual unity cannot exist in our country when we suggest that Christians wear red hats and carry flags that say, don't tread on me. Christian nationalism makes an idol of the nation. The country becomes the object of worship, and people begin to believe that they serve God by serving the country. The images on January 6th, at the January 6th ride at the Capitol, with people carrying Christian flags and Bibles, would lead you to believe that many citizens want the United States to be an overtly Christian nation. However, uh, recent data from the Pew Research Center demonstrates that the majority of Americans believe that the federal government should enforce, enforce separation of church and state. And seven in ten adults said the federal government should never declare an official religion for the country. There are an increasing number of Christians who say Christian nationalism is the single greatest threat to America's religious freedom. Groups like the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty are now speaking out against Christian nationalism on the national stage and believe that our Constitution spells out that belonging to American society is not predicated on what faith one practices, or whether someone is religious at all. Now, patriotism is something of great value and something that we should nourish among our young people. But Christian nationalism 
which merges political and religious authority, can quickly lead to idolatry and confusion of allegiance. It's clear to me that the government went too far in removing prayer from school and displays of the Ten Commandments in public buildings. But reasonable minds can agree that this country was founded on Christian Judeo principles, but it was not founded as a Christian nation or country. The judicial system has gradually been pushing uh, the protection of people of faith in our workplaces and government entities. An example of that was the recent uh, Supreme Court decision overturning uh, the termination of a football coach for praying on the field after a game. In America, people of all faiths should be allowed to practice their faith unintended by the laws of our land. In Annette Griffin's article entitled, Is Christian Nationalism Biblical? She points out that that Christian nationalism is founded on the belief that God has bestowed a unique privilege and responsibility upon America to represent Christ. Therefore, Christian nationalists consider it their duty to promote and defend the tenets of the Christian faith at all costs and in every public arena. They believe that our nation is and always has been a God-ordained Christian nation. And there's ample evidence that Christian values played a vital role in the origin of our country. The Constitution of the United States was written with a clear Judeo-Christian worldview and designed to govern its citizens with laws inspired by biblical standards, while at the same time allowing freedom of religious expression. The Declaration of Independence mentions God four times, directly connecting each reference to New Testament ideas. History clearly proves that America has Judeo-Christian roots. But our founding fathers did not sanction the establishment of a Christian nation. So what does the Bible say about Christian nationalism? Born-again believers in Christ understand that this earthly world is not our home. You know, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. So, in other words, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is not of this world. We are tempor- <coughs> we're temporarily living in a foreign land. And uh, Christians are called to fulfill the things that Jesus taught us, the king's mission. 
You know, apparently Christian nationalists believe that they have the God-given right to usurp any government power, even to the point of violence, if that power does not align with biblical principles. However, the scripture refutes this stance. Throughout history, God has appointed leaders and rulers to govern his people. Some of those leaders have been evil and many good. And God has used all of them to accomplish his purposes. Annette Griffin explains it this way. When Christians forget that this world is not our home, that this life is not our own, our old nature's yearning for autonomy can be confused for a righteous cause. Our old values, you know, we want our own rights and we want our own well way above all else. The enemy of our soul knows this. He prowls about, ready to deceive us into believing our fight for freedom has not already been won by Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells his followers that they are the salt and the light of the world, meaning we should take his values into the political arena by voting for people that uphold Christian principles in their decision-making. Who's president, senator, representative, or Supreme Court justice, or a governor? Does matter. It does matter. When civil unrest breaks out in our land, we can either join in the chaos or we can stand firm. We stand firm not on any worldly institution or personal conviction or righteous cause, but on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So what does the scripture say about treating others in this temporary world? What we think and believe about our country determines, to a large degree, how we behave. If you view the world through a lens of spiritual superiority and prejudice, it will be impossible to treat others around the world in a manner worthy of our Christian calling. The night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus prayed for all believers asking God to equip them for their time here on earth. He did not desire believers to be removed from this sin-fallen world, nor did he mandate that we work, fight, and advocate to transform our country into a replica of his heavenly kingdom. He asked the Father to protect his followers from the evil one and sanctify them with the truth so that his children could fulfill his purposes on earth. In Luke 19.10, Jesus tells us that he had one goal, one goal, to seek and save the lost. And the Apostle Paul has reminded us that Christ has supplied his followers with everything that is needed to play a part in that goal. You know, through God's word, we get our marching orders. And through his spirit, We are equipped to complete that mission in his strength and power. God sovereignly leads lost people across our paths. My friends know that I refer to these meetings as divine appointments with people who need to know Jesus. 
Unbelievers are not our enemy. They are an opportunity to, to expand God's kingdom. The true enemy is Satan. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that he has blinded. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. As I close this podcast, let me be very clear. Christians have no business. Christians have no business joining chaotic political protests wrapped in Christian flags and carrying Bibles. The Bible is very clear about this. Jesus and his ministry was focused on justice, mercy, humility, the needs of the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable, and saving the lost. Calling elected officials derisive names and interfering with government activities is not the way of the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about your citizenship in God's kingdom. And if you're an unbeliever listening to this podcast, I want you to know that some of the things you see from Christian nationalists are not God-ordained. May God bless each and every one of you.